On this show, we discuss the new services Apple announced, the fine details of Google Stadia, and how Boeing's space endeavors might be delayed further for safety reasons. At the end of the show, we'll have a little fun recasting Fox, plus we also chat about how Fallon's a sellout. This and more in this week's show. I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to an all-new episode of the OfficialGunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and we are giving an insane amount of fanfare for no good reason, because I'm here, but we are happy to have, of course, the wonderful, the terrific, the fantastic Chris Farrell. Don't lie, nobody wants me here. And I'm also pleased to say that rounding off the panel this week, it's uh, the third or the fourth time he's joined us on the show. It's uh, none other than Stargate Pioneer. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. It's great to be here on the GuineaGeek.com show. What do you got going on this week? Well, we're, we have an amazing, terrific, terrific, that's the word. The word is terrific. We have an amazing, terrific show ahead of us as we're going to have a little bit of fun hypothesizing and brainstorming a little bit of Fox recasting. Ooh, that's a featured segment that we'll get to a little bit later. But before we get there, we will have news. And I'm also going to tell you a little bit about how we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. We're part of the Gunna Geek Network. And you can find some awesome, amazing, geeky shows over at GunnaGeek.com, including none other than the Starling Tribune Show. The Starling Tribune Show is the official name. The Starling Tribune Show. I think it's available at StarlingTribuneShow.com. And uh, no, it's StarlingTribune.com. And I, say, I don't think we got the show one yet. Starling Tribune talks about Arrow. And uh, I have to say, I apologize to these guys. They very kindly invited me on last week and I could not make it. So I would like to apologize live on the GunnaGeek.com show for that. I apologize, guys. Your apology is not accepted. Yeah, I, it was very rude. You wanted to come on anytime. We had an opening. Michelle couldn't be there. We asked you on and you said, not only no, but you, you flipped us the bird and you said, F no. And then you spit in my face. In my defense, I was there in the chat room and I was using an alias swearing at you. As we were tying it up in the last two minutes of the show. As Steven got himself banned and timed out by my bot in there for using all caps lock comments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's very true. It's very, very true. But seriously, if you want to check that out, that show does stream live on Thursdays at Geeks Out Live. If you want to go ahead and check that out, it is a fun show. And I want to go ahead and say right now that 
It was a great episode this past week, but it wasn't the same without Michelle Ely. Michelle Ely is awesome on that show. And Michelle, we all miss you on that show. So we look forward to having you back there soon. Yeah, we're hoping to have her back this week. But in case you just want to say hi to Michelle, she is on Twitter at Michelle Ely. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-E-A-L-E-Y. All right. This first news point that we have here is very familiar because last week on the guineageek.com show, we started off talking about Google games and theorizing about Google games. And the reason why was because we record the show live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time over at www.geeks.live. And this event from Google was on Tuesday. Well, a bunch of information did come out on Tuesday and we thought it actually deserved cycling back especially because chris farrell he he really wants to get angry so chris farrell what do you got in your news here boy i really want to get angry you guys are in for disappointment because i'm not angry i'm more curious than anything so like steven mentioned we knew google was going to be talking about gaming and their move of how they're going to get into it on tuesday at the game developers conference they announced their stadia effort and stadia which i found it as the plural of stadium that is why they chose that so they finally announced their much anticipated landing into the game industry it's inspired by the notion of collective appreciation of gaming skill hence the name stadium because you'd come in there and you would watch people compete in different ways the pitch is that google's technology advantage will bring players developers streamers and viewers all closer together manifested millions of connections to a global network of data centers what this means in practice, once they get this to work, is you could put a link in your YouTube stream and then someone could click that link and within five seconds, potentially be playing a game online, regardless of their hardware. They could plan a crappy old laptop, an old PC, their cell phone, a tablet, internet connected TV, and they can jump between multiple devices where their progress will always be saved. For Google Stadia, there is no hardware except for an optional controller that connects directly to Google's servers instead of the particular device you're playing on. That's kind of an interesting twist where to kind of reduce some of that lag, once you connect your controller to Wi-Fi, it goes directly to the data center where you're playing. So what's Google's concept here? It's cloud-based gaming, like we've seen with Microsoft's Project X Cloud, we've seen with uh, Gaikai, which Sony acquired for PlayStation. It's nothing we haven't seen before, but there's the special Google flavor that might make it more interesting and more viable long-term. One of the neat things they share in their announcement it's going to be pretty cool for streamers, be they on Twitch or YouTube gaming, is what they're calling state share, which is where players will be able to share transferable encoded representations of a moment in a game. Basically, if I'm doing a speed run on something and there's a place where I always keep messing up, I could say, hey, here's a link to this part in the game. You guys try and play it yourself. Someone could click it within seconds, be in that same game where the game state was that, that happened and try and play it themselves. It's a pretty interesting way to try and share gaming experiences that you might see a live streamer playing. It's similar to what you've seen right now with the NES and the SNES minis, where you can pretty much just save the state in the middle of a game, go out and start another game and come back right where you left off. So we've seen it before, but yeah, the basics is cloud-based gaming. Google gave us a lot more details and we'll dig into those here in a second, but it's an interesting presentation albeit not necessarily the most fresh of things. So when we're talking cloud-based gaming, the things we have to think about is 
What's the required connection speed? How are data caps going to come into play? Things like that. So I believe on the Gunna Geek show about six months ago, I talked about Google's beta project called Project Stream, where they were playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey in a browser. Basically, this was the predecessor to Stadia. The company worked within an ideal framework requiring a 25 megabit per second download to, or excuse me, down, uh, downstream connection. I misspoke there for a second for a 1080p 60 frame per second streaming event. According to Google VP Phil Harrison, who came over from Sony at one point in time, they were really only using about 20 megabits per second, leaving a little extra room. Improving algorithms meant the company means rather the company plans to launch eventually a target of 4K 60 frames per second with a minimum of a 30 megabit per second connection. So when they launch this, whenever that may be, they're targeting to be able to do 4K 60 frames per second for all their games. That's pretty impressive. That being said, it's a lot of internet. It's a big connection speed you need and not everyone necessarily has it. And where it gets even more interesting during this event at GDC, Phil Harrison said they're eventually targeting going to 8K 60 frame per second. So you can imagine what the internet connection speed requirements would be for that. So I wish I knew Suncast in the chat room asked what codec are they using? I don't believe any of that was talked about at this event. There's still a lot of questions for Stadia. And I'm glad you asked that because it allows me to bring up the fact that we don't know a ton other than, hey, here's sort of how this is going to work. And here's an idea of how you might be able to interact it. So next thing we don't know, when does it launch? Like I said, no clue. They have said we'll get more announcements at E3. We'll learn more about what's going on. They did say sometime in 2019 Stadia is going to launch, but that could be December 31st. It could be August 1st. We've got tons of different opportunities of when that could be. It will launch in the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, and most of Europe, according to Google. So you have the potential to be able to play wherever you are almost. And how are they doing this? By putting a boatload of servers out there so that in an ideal world, you've got a server that's geographically co-located with you or relatively close to you so you have less worry of latency and things like that. They showed on screen the map of where all of their servers are. And pretty much if you're in the United States and Canada right now, you can be wherever and probably not have to worry about latency issues based off where servers are positioned. So that's the dream. So do you know if they're going to have like arcade games or anything like that involved with this? Oh, that's that's a good question. We don't know much of anything of what's going to be on there game-wise, and I have some notes on that when we get down to it closer. They didn't announce officially any games other than Doom Eternal would be on there, which is coming out for PC soon. It's going to push, be a heavy lift graphically by everything we've heard, but yeah, no clue what any of the games are. That That's a problem. Well, if they do any arcade games, we could call it Stadia Arcadia. Uh, I see what you see, did there. There's a Chili Peppers reference. Aha, Stadium Arcadia. Yeah. So, so, so going back to the games, they did say this was not a presentation about individual games, more about the whole service. That Google did send development tools to more than 100 companies, and they invited more developers to apply to join the effort. They had Marty Stratton from ID Software on site to announce Doom Eternal was running on Stadia, which was demoed at GDC. So you can go and you can see some footage of that from GDC and you can get uh, Digital Foundry has a little bit of some in-depth YouTube videos on their estimates of what the latency issues might have been. Uh, Jade Raymond, formerly of Ubisoft Electronic Arts, announced that she's heading up the Stadia Games Entertainment, a first party publishing development unit that's going to be working with publishers and developers to bring games to Stadia and will likely include financial incentives. 
They also announced a raft of technology partnerships, including game development engines such as Unreal, Unity, and Havoc. So they've got pieces there, but they don't have any announcement of what the games are other than Doom. And while Doom is probably going to be awesome and look great, that's not how you sell gamers on wanting to get involved with your system by saying, we've got Doom and nothing else. So my hope is when they go to E3, they just hammer us with a list of games like, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. You're going to love this. You're going to want to play this. But the problem is, even if they have a boatload of games that come out, we still know nothing about what this is going to cost. By that, I mean, is this going to be a, a monthly um, a membership cost that you pay to stream games in there? Do you pay per game and it stays basically in a digital library and you can play it wherever you are? It, no clue. Uh, but they did say that they did invest heavily in it. Phil Harrison on stage said it's public record that in 2019, Google will be spending $13 billion in infrastructure and capital expenditures. So this is a very significant investment for the company, but they haven't told us what the price is coming to us. Am I paying per game? Am I paying per month? Am I paying per minute? Nobody knows. And these are more questions they need to answer. You're going to see this as a recurring trend with everything that came out about Stadia as you go, well, that's interesting but I want to know more. The tech sounds interesting, but I don't understand. What are you guys going to be doing with it? How do I get involved in this? The payment thing is one that's really, really making me wonder, like, how is this going to work? And I'm guessing it's going to be some form of subscription basis. Like, it just seems like that would be the natural way to go. But I don't know. Like, you know, is it something that, like, what is that scope that they're going to bill it on? Is it going to be based off of you get a block of hours or you get, you know, like the old dial up days, or is it just going to be a monthly fee? Like I I'm very interested on this and I think it's worth considering that people are going to do the math. They're going to do the math of, of if it's too high going, well, I could afford a PlayStation in four months, right? You know, people will do that math. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right there. They'd afford some opportunities for being able to interact with people that's different. But like I said, too many questions. Will it work as I'm flying over Mongolia at 50,000 feet? <laughs> if you have a 30 megabit per second internet connection, you're probably good to go. Will it work if I'm in my mini sub at the bottom of the Marianas Trench with James Cameron? <laughs> Again, 30 megabit per second internet connection. You're good to go, sir. Will it work while I'm listening to high-quality albums from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Uh, probably, as long as you have a 30 megabit per second connection. <laughs> is that There's the, a recurring trend here. Is that 30 down and, or 30, um, uh, what's the two-way? Uh, symmetrical? Is, is it? It's not symmetrical from what I can tell here. And if you think about it, it makes more sense that downstream is going to be used more because they're basically pushing you a 4K rendering of whatever you're playing and what you're sending back is button pushes and how you interact with it which would not be anywhere near as bandwidth intensive i would think you know i was thinking about this and i was thinking that um there is this is really something that if you're looking and you're like this is this is the platform we're going toe to toe with microsoft and sony and whatnot you'd be going there's just not enough mass appeal for this but where i think there's really the potential on this is the people who don't have consoles now and the multi-platform uh, games, the ones that are doing cross-compatibility, this is the opportunity if some of these games are cross-compatible with, you know, Nintendo and Microsoft and whoever's adopting it, this is a way that some gamers who 
might just be casual gamers and don't want to invest fully in the hardware. And if it's on a subscription basis, maybe, you know, it's actually more affordable if you can play multiple games under the subscription rather than buying all these games. It's going to be a real opportunity to sort of fill in the pockets where people do want a game but aren't willing to go spend all of the money outright. That's, I think, the real potential with this as well as what will result afterwards once they go and they utilize this elsewise. Well, I mean, Phil Harrison did say they intended to be fully cross-compatible and allow things like that. So if you like playing Fortnite, I think the vision is you'll be able to play Fortnite on Stadia. You'll be able to play Apex Legends, any of those games out there. And it gets interesting because remember, Microsoft just opened up Xbox Live connectivity to developers in general to be like, hey, make your game connect to Xbox Live, whether it's on Xbox, whether it's on Switch. We'll even do it on Sony, if on the PlayStation, if Sony will let us. Well, work through dial-up. <laughs> I wager not. Well, work through my phone's Wi-Fi. Depending on how good a connection your phone has, yes, you'd probably be better off just playing it on your phone because the way it works... You compare any Bluetooth controller to your phone or whatever other device it is that you're playing on and just play that way, including Nintendo's Joy-Cons, which we talked about last week. Well, work while I'm podcasting and there are five people in the house that are streaming 4K video? No. Okay. Mm -mm. <laughs> Maybe, not now. Maybe in the future. <laughs> not in my neighborhood. When your internet connection becomes more robust and perhaps you have 5G to be hooked on to, Possibly. So when, when it comes to Stadia, I think Google's play is twofold. And I don't think the major play is trying to become involved in gaming. I think it's to further grow the YouTube brand and things like that. Because if you go and look at a lot of things they showed off here, it was how they could bake Stadia gameplay into YouTube gaming. Make it easy to go online and see your favorite streamer playing, be able to play their game state of things, making it easy to drop in and out of multiplayer games with those streamers potentially. And then one of the really cool things they talked about here is if you're playing a game and you're stuck, and they showed a demo of this with Tomb Raider, there is a Google Assistant button on the first-party controller that you can buy direct from Google. And if you push that, you can basically say, hey, I'm having trouble with this section of the game. The Assistant's going to be able to detect where you are in the game, then bring up a YouTube video on screen to show you a walkthrough of that section. It's pretty cool, and at that point, that's when Phil Harrison basically said, yeah, your Gmail account is your logon for Stadia. So... There's interesting pieces here, but we don't know anything. We've just seen some cool tech demos and some promises of things to come. It's enough to have me go, hey, you've got me hooked enough to be, to be interested in seeing what you do. If you do an open beta of it or something like that, I'm in for sure because I'd love to try it. But you haven't done anything to sell me on not playing on my console or my PC. Granted, my PC is not cutting edge hardware, but I can play Fortnite or Apex Legends in mid-level graphic range and things like that. So... Google's got a lot of work left to see where they're going to go with this. And there are concerns that will have to be addressed because, like we said, bandwidth is a limitation and Internet caps are also going to be a limitation. I've talked about on this show before. I have Comcast for my Internet. Technically, I'm capped at one terabyte of data a month. I've come close to that before with backups on my hard drives and things like that. But think about gamers. They, mar they do marathon sessions. And if you're a streamer, your livelihood is tied into playing every day for hours at a time. So let's say you're playing six to eight hours a day of a game that they're pushing down in 4K from their servers. You're going to hit that terabyte cap and you're going to hit it fast. So that's one of the other limitations to consider. So right now I consider it pretty much a cool tech demo 
and I'm curious to see where they go with it at E3, but I am certainly skeptical as to whether I would be adopting this as one of my gaming platforms other than just trying it out to be like, hey, I tried it and it was kind of cool. I would give it a try because I do have unlimited uh, data. Humble brag. <clears throat> I just pushed up a major backup and I, I used like seven terabytes worth of transfer in, in the course of a few weeks. So I'm glad I had that and I would be somebody who could use this. Now, the thing is, um, I think the assistant part is interesting, but I don't know, like, are people really going to use that? Aren't they just going to like be forced to have it, pull out the phone and Google? So possibly, I mean, let's be honest, if I get stuck in a game, one of the first things I do is pull up YouTube and try and find a walkthrough. If I'm on a platform where it's as simple as saying, hey, I'm stuck and it brings up that YouTube video on the screen I'm playing, it's a lot easier. And if you're playing this game on your phone, for instance, paired with a Bluetooth controller. Yeah. That, that's the interesting thing about this is the flexibility of you can play it on pretty much any device that can get Google video services, be it a Chromecast, a Chromecast, a Chrome tab in your browser and your tablet on your PC, anything like that. It, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting flexibility here. And I think their big play, like you mentioned, is, hey, it's really cheap to get started. Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning getting stuck on a game there. Uh, short story that I'll share right now. When I was a kid, I had a Batman game. I think it was the Batman Forever game on Super Nintendo. Oh, God, it was terrible. <laughs> I got to this point and it was like, I don't know, two levels in. And this was before like the Internet was really like a thing. And we couldn't figure out how to proceed. My brother and I couldn't figure it out. And the game literally stayed that way for years until all of a sudden we figured that you somehow like randomly there was no instructions on how to do this but you had to point up and press the select button or something so that you could shoot your grappling hook up but there was no indication that that was where you had to do it there's no indication on the manual and uh yeah literally i had a, a game that i just didn't use for like two That's years when you would have to write in a nintendo power or like call the 1-900 yeah. number to get game tips that yeah. was that was the gimmick back then i never called those 1-900 numbers Will it work on my Commodore 64? Does Can it run the Chrome browser? Will it work on my ten, Nintendo DS? Will it run the Chrome browser? Oh, will it? You tell me. You're the tech guy. It will not. I am not the tech guy. That is a trademark term by some other show on a different network. Do you know what will work on none of those? Probably Apple's new streaming service. That's right. Moving on to the next news point here. Uh, Apple today had a, I don't know, I'm, I'm really struggling to use the term event. I really don't want to use the term <laughs> they, event. They called it an event. Remember the last time that they had something like this and I said I would never watch one live again? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I didn't watch live. I just read the notes afterwards. Uh, okay. So Google today, or Google, a Apple today did make a bit of a announcement. And it was a multi-part announcement. There was a lot of speculation leading up to this. But the big takeaway is that Apple today announced Apple TV+. Plus. Tim Cook took the stage to announce a new service that Apple's going to be offering called Apple TV+. Plus. Steve, Steve, wow, I'm I'm all over the place. Tim Cook said, <laughs> "I'm thinking of the good old days." That's what it is. Uh, Tim Cook Tim, is was it Tim Cook or Tim Apple? It, it was, Tim, it was Apple, Tim Apple. Sorry, Tim Apple said, "As you can tell, today is going to be a very different kind of event." At the top of the event, and it was, it was definitely different. 
And the big kickoff with this Apple TV Plus was that this is a new streaming service that Apple is going to be offering. Now, there was all sorts of fanfare by celebrities involved with this, quote, uh, event, end quote, because there was none other than Steven Spielberg to kick it all off. And he was saying that it's going to be, quote, the destination for the highest quality originals, end quote. And there was also a whole bunch of celebrities. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Highest quality originals and we don't have to go to a movie theater to see them? <laughs> right. There was a whole bunch yeah. of other celebrities involved with the announcement, including Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and a whole bunch of other people, including Jason Momoa uh, and, and Big Bird, too. No, by no, the way. no, don't leave it like that. Momoa. Fair enough. Okay. Momoa. Even Mr. Abrahams, J.J. Abrahams, was there. That's a callback, J.J. Nice call, <laughs> deep call. And uh, apparently Apple said that they're going to be spending $2 billion on the service next year. So a lot of money being invested into this whole Apple TV Wait, streaming service did, originals. Didn't Netflix spend $10 billion in original content last year? Yeah, but this is $2 billion from Apple. Mm, that's courageous. <laughs> exactly my point. And also, Apple TV, of course, as you might expect for a subscription service, will be ad-free, available on demand, and viewable both online and offline. Yes, I am reading out these features like they're important features because that's the way they were touting them, even though it is something that has been around with all their streaming services for a couple of years now. But Apple plans to also launch in a hundred countries soon again something that they were touting and also if it wasn't enough that they were doing the apple tv plus streaming service they're also going to redesign the apple tv app that's currently available on ios back roku fire tv to allow television from various manufacturers including hbo showtime stars CBS All Access, all of these will be available through the Apple TV app. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that the Apple TV app is available on Roku? Well, it will be, apparently. Will be. Apparently. Gotta huh. get that sweet, okay. sweet money, whether they're in your ecosystem or not. And there's a lot more Rokus than Apple TVs. I know. I have fully invested in Rokus. So I'm like, I've not seen that on my channels that you know, scroll, and I would think that if Apple TV was on there, they would automatically upload it for me. Not launched yet, though. Now, the reason I was also sort of half sarcastically saying that is because it isn't uh, a couple other people been doing that for a little while, offering all those different options within their specific... Yeah, you can basically do it on your Roku right now if you hit the voice button and say a show you're looking for, it's going to pull up the results and say, hey, you can watch it on Netflix or Hulu or your on-demand service. Uh, Amazon's done it for a while now where you could buy premium channels through them and it just shows up on your prime app all of the shows on there it's nothing new it just has the apple spit and polish on it with the reality distortion field making you think they did it first but wait 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 apple's peter stern said quote we designed a new tv experience where you can pay for only the channels you want all in one app with the password you already have end quote Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I can do that with Sling TV yeah. and DirecTV now. Mm -hmm. I can basically do it with Comcast. Yeah. And a lot of cable providers are making online 
uh, versions where it's the same sort of idea as well. So anyways, uh, lots of excitement out of Apple with the world of TV stuff. But uh, if TV is not your, your take, guess what? They're getting into the, wait, it is the breaking ad, brand new thing called news. That's right. They're announcing a new wow. subscription service. Apple has announced that there's going to be a new subscription service that will cost $9.99 US or $12.99 Canadian per month, including roughly 300 magazines from a handful of major newspapers, including the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, and a whole bunch of others, because apparently there was over 300 magazines, but those were the ones that they were mainly highlighting. Now, Apple says that advertisers won't track readers inside the apps. That's what they say. Mm. But mm. we will see because apparently there's also going to be Wired, Popular Science, National Geographic, and Essence. Now, the thing with this whole subscription service is if you're already paying like a couple subscriptions a month, you're probably paying about that. That's where I could see somebody maybe actually being interested in this because really like what is an, a newspaper cost down there? Like five bucks a month? For a digital subscription? It depends on the subscription plan you're looking for. Like the New York Times is 10 bucks a month. The Washington Post, if you don't have Amazon Prime, is a different cost. Like I have Amazon Prime, so I pay $3.99 a month for the Washington Post digital edition. I think the regular price is probably around $9.99 also. Yeah. So if you had, like, if these were included and you're already paying it, then it would make sense to switch over if you have an Apple device. But it's like, to me, it's like, okay, the, the news is not doing well. <laughs> so you're telling me the same company that has gathered statistics for podcast producers through their Apple Connect or Podcast Connect portal is not going to track readers inside the app. That's what they say. <laughs> it's their big privacy push. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, with this. If they really want to get a bunch of new subscribers and readers they need to explore having exist just out, outside of the apple ecosystem too if they're going to put the tv app outside of the walled garden maybe you should put it out so android users can get it too because i'm not the only one that's like a split user with an android cell phone and, a ta and an apple tablet at the house and honestly my news content consumption rather varies depending on my schedule today sometimes i'll read most of it on my ipad other times it'll be on my cell phone and it's generally through the washington post app right now or the Google News website, because honestly, Google News gives me everything that I want to read, almost all of it for free. All right. Well, that remains to be seen how that's going to pan out. But we're talking about possible tracking and how SP believes they're going to track. Well, this is the last thing that I want to talk about announced here, because they, again, they say that it's not going to be trackable because they are apparently launching a MasterCard credit card. Yes, they also announced that they're launching an Apple MasterCard credit card called Apple Card. Now, why I talk about tracking is because they say that Apple won't know where you spend your money, what? but they're also integrating into Apple Maps so that it shows users where they spend their money. And they've got Barclay card over on the Visa side. Yeah, so I don't know. There, there's something weird with that. Uh, maybe maybe I misheard. I don't know. Maybe I missed something. They're that. literally going to know where it is because I assume I'm going to put it in my Apple Pay. And when I pay contactlessly somewhere, it goes right in my transaction history and then pops a notification up on screen, I would assume, if it's similar to Android Pay, that says, 
hey, this car has been charged this much at this location. Just because they're not potentially using it to market things doesn't mean they don't know. Uh, something feels shady here. Maybe I'm, maybe that's wrong. I, I haven't verified that information. That was on a couple different articles I checked, but um, maybe that was that was like a, a mass error because it sounded weird to me too, but I saw it on a couple different ones, but maybe that was just an error. But in any case, MasterCard SB, you get yourself an Apple card. Yay! I am so mad at Apple right now for a variety of reasons, and some of which are content production-wise, some of which is the ecosystem, whatever. I have to say, though, I do have a good news story for Apple that we'll probably have to get into on the show in the future, but it's not all bad, but at the same time, it's like, I just want to uh, hate Apple right now. So anyways... If you are all excited about any of this stuff, we will not burst your... No, nah, I can't even say that. <laughs> we'll, we'll burst your bubble all day. Uh, but uh, the streaming service, I, I am interested to see what they get because they they have made a couple of pulls in the past with the music scene and they, they've they've made some things happen and gotten some names. So I'm interested to see what they do with it, but it's just another service that... I'm going to have to pay for at some point. It's it's nothing new. It's already been done by multiple different people. This is just the Apple stamp on it, which is going to appeal to people that are in the Apple ecosystem and like to do everything Apple related. But I kind of feel like Suncast nailed my feelings on it on Twitter. So Suncast, I'm going to give you credit here when he said this Apple event feels a little like a dad that is having a midlife crisis who buys a sports car trying to still look relevant. <laughs> I love it, Suncast. I love it. I just bought a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> I had one last thought on this one is if you go back, remember when the Walter Isaac and Isaacson, Steve Jobs biography came out and he had done a bunch of interviews with Steve Jobs. And one of the things that was quoted in there that got run everywhere is Steve basically saying, hey, this whole Apple TV thing, TV for Apple, I think I've got it licked. That was the worst thing that could have ever happened because everything they have done TV wise afterwards has never met that expectation of something that Steve Jobs was behind. Because let's let's be honest, go back to the Apple days when Steve Jobs was on stage and you always had the one more thing moment and things like that. Steve Jobs was a great showman. Whether it was actually a great thing or not, you got excited because of the way he presented it. And his last one last thing was saying, hey, I think we've got TV licked. And by all accounts, the rumors were it was literally going to be an Apple television set with tvOS and stuff baked into it, which didn't end up happening. But I think that has set the uh, fanboy expectations a little high for what Apple TV is going to be. And the problem is what they ended up being, everyone else beat them too and are arguably doing it as well, if not better right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Chris. But moving on to the next news point here, what do we got going on with Boeing? Stargate Pioneer. A little bit of disappointment, and no, I'm not going to talk about any 737-related issues, but we're going to go into space, or try to go into space right now, and on the 20th of March, which was last week, we had a Reuters story by Eric M. Johnson, which was titled, Boeing Delays by Months Test Flights for U.S. Human Space Program. Okay. Boeing has delayed by at least three months its first on-crewed flight to the International Space Station under NASA's Human Spaceflight Program and pushed its crewed flight until November. 
industry sources said. Earlier this month, an unmanned capsule from Elon Musk's SpaceX completed a six-day round-trip mission to the International Space Station. Its astronaut flight is planned for July, but the clock is ticking on both companies because there are no seats available for U.S. crew on the Russian Soyuz spacecraft after 2019, given production schedules and other factors. Now, NASA said it was considering paying for two more seats to the space station for the autumn of 2019 and spring of 2020 to ensure U.S. access. Guys, we knew that these two competing programs were going to run into some delays. Apparently they have, and it's putting our ability to access the International Space Station at risk. Will it run on my Windows machine? Sorry. (laughs) I I have no idea if Boeing uses Windows or Android or iOS or... I have no idea. So what you're saying here is we're bringing the Enterprise out of retirement, out of mothballs, and we're going to launch the shuttle again, right? Yeah, the Enterprise, that'd be good since it was never in space. That's right. My bad. Yeah. OV-101 was a flight um, demonstrator. It never went into space. Well, then we need to put it in space. So this is the plan. No, I'm sure. <laughs> no, they, they actually looked into that, by the way, when they had the Challenger incident, and they decided that it was a lot easier just to build a new one. So that's how we got the Enterprise in Atlantis. <laughs> so why exactly was this delayed? Did they say? They did not say, but previous reports said that there were safety concerns about the ejection process, the flight safety to, uh, you know, what just happened with the Soyuz, you know, you had an incident on launch and you had a recovery during the launch. Yeah, that system they need to have a little bit more development on, but it was not directly attributable to that in this story. Okay. So just to be clear, then Boeing is making sure to delay for safety reasons. I would think that, that would be a very, very smart move for their company at this time. Uh, obviously, they were probably going to do that before anyways. But I think that it's very, very important that if that is the case, that they get ahead of this so that they can make sure to really highlight that. Because the whole safety concerns is is something with Boeing as a company right now. And that's not good for stock. No, it's not just Boeing either. SpaceX has had the same issues, although SpaceX did do their on-man flight and it was successful. And remember the the dummy and the little stuffed animal that went up and down? Yeah, so SpaceX actually has a flight underneath them right now. Boeing's flight is delayed. I'm hoping that SpaceX does not have a delay, but I know better with space development programs. So I, I think we might be using Soyuz for one or two more flights if they allow us. And finally, in our extra, extra news section here, just a couple of quick picks to touch on. Number one, Supernatural is finally ending. That's right. Supernatural is ending after 15 seasons. What? Uh, Yes, it was announced. Why? Um, So I don't know. 15 seasons. It could have got an extra 15. But yes, Supernatural which originally, I believe, was, uh, I think it was UPN. I don't know. It, it was UPN. Oh, I thought it was WB. Maybe it was w- WB, but happened with the whole merger when it became the CW with UPN. Yeah, they've been around that long. There's been a lot of shows that have, have come and gone in the time that Supernatural has been on. And quite honestly, uh, this is long overdue. Long overdue. I haven't watched it myself, but 
like 15 seasons, there's a time to move on. And, and it was probably about five ago, if not 10 ago. Also, so, so you're saying that The Simpsons should have been canceled about three decades ago. I 100% agree with that. The Simpsons hasn't been good since like season eight. So yes. Yes, totally. I 100% agree. And I believe right now The Simpsons is doing it just to keep going. And finally, on our extra extra here, this is something I just wanted to mention because apparently tonight, the night that we record this, March 25th, Jimmy Fallon's show is basically an ad for the uh, S10 Plus because The Tonight Show is going to be a special format tonight, allegedly, where they are going to be going around and Jimmy's showing you some of his favorite places in New York, which apparently is going to be entirely shot on a Samsung S10 Plus, and apparently this does come from a large deal that was signed by Samsung with the parent company, and there's going to be a whole bunch of integration going on to different shows. I don't know, whatever, I guess it's interesting, but I just wanted to mention it because, hey, there you go. Jimmy Fallon apparently is needing to shake things up a little bit because I'm sure that it's one of the reasons why he needs to shake it up, go the Conan O'Brien approach, change things up. Uh, and also, Tonight Show, it's selling out. I wanted to say you heard it here first. Did you hear the <sighs> news story that there is a marketing uh team out there, a business out there that is approaching podcasters and saying for $28,000, I can highlight your podcast on Fox News, Business News or CNBC or something like that. Did you guys hear that story? Sorry, I'm just checking my wallet. No, I don't have $28,000 yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah, so this is a regular thing, unfortunately, is that they are selling it's basically sponsored news and I just grates me the wrong way news is no longer impartial but business wise and anything else nope but let's go ahead and move on to a special segment that we're gonna revisit a few times in the future For the audio listeners, you don't know that Stargate Pioneer has been having some wonderful space ears that weirdly resembles the Mickey Mouse ears on his head. And I believe there's a couple reasons. Number one, uh, he got tired of me calling him my Playboy Bunny. I think that was number one. So he decided that he was going to go the mouse route instead so I can call him my mouse. And the second thing was because this week... The deal came through finally, and Fox has been officially, as we previously spoke about on this show, been gobbled up by the Disney conglomerate. That's right. The uh, deal all happened. It's all official. Lots of layoffs happening, but lots of content coming to Disney. And so Chris Farrell came up with this fun idea that we're going to do today on the heels of this. Because there's a lot of changes that's probably going to happen out of the world of geek with this merger. If you think about it, there's a lot of different geek shows that are owned by Fox. Some of the key ones that we all know about, of course, are things like X-Men, Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four Stick, uh, you know, like all of these awesome things. <laughs> and, and so we wanted to have a little bit of fun playing CEO or casting. Uh, we'll go CEO, right? 
So, Stephen, what you're saying is we control the casting couch? <laughs> you're absolutely right. We uh, are going to play... <laughs> I can't even do it. I can't even do it. But the idea behind this segment is what, Chris Farrell? Well, pretty much, it's an exercise that we've all done as fans. You go, man, if I was doing my fantasy casting for this movie or this property, here's what I would pick. And why is this relevant now? Like Steven mentioned, the Fox acquisition is complete. That means the MCU sandbox is even bigger. They've got a chance to play with all the X-Men characters, all the Fantastic Four characters, and all sorts of other things. And I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of a Marvel fanboy. So let's let's delve into those fanboy thoughts and figure out how we would fantasy cast some things. And like Steven said, it's probably going to be multiple segments because there's tons of different characters. This week, let's try and focus on some characters from the Fantastic Four universe. No, it's Fantar Forsisk. It's fant Fantastic Four. I can't say that. So just uh, whatever Steven said, we're going to cast people from that. So things like Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, Galactus, all sorts of stuff like that. By the way, the reason the reason I'm saying that is because of the fact that the most recent version of the Fantastic Four that they did, they literally stylized it Fantastic with the four as the A in the middle. Like that was the title. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Fantastic. <laughs> So we're going to go through and we're going to give us some suggestions for some actors we think would be interesting in these roles. And please, if you're in the chat room, feel free to chime in with some thoughts of your own. We'll try and list where you might know these folks from because in an audio medium, it wouldn't make sense for us to throw up a picture. But a lot of these names you've probably heard of. So let's kick things off with Fantastic Four week. We're going to start with Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, the leader of the Fantastic Four, one of the biggest brains of the Marvel Universe we need to figure out who we would put in that role. And as a quick refresher, if you go back to Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, who's portrayed by Yoan Gruffold, and I'm pretty sure I messed up his name, and in Fant Forstick, Miles Teller. So now our goal is to try and come up with some actors that we've seen out in industry now who might make sense for that role. And I was going to kick things off with the name that everyone is going to say, thanks to Boss Logic on Twitter, who made the, uh, the fan... Photoshop with John Krasinski in the lead role as Reed Richards with his hair dyed appropriately as Reed does with the gray temples. And it totally worked. And John Krasinski has come out and said, Hey, I'd love to do it. It sounds like a lot of fun. Let's be honest. Jim from the office. He's actually got some action credentials. Now he is Jack Ryan in the new Jack Ryan series. That's on uh, Amazon prime by all counts. It's pretty good. And he gets to kick some serious butt from what I've heard. I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. He's my number one pick, my number two pick, and I'm going for a slightly deeper pull here. If you watch the show Chuck, you probably know Matt Bomer as Bryce Larkin, Chuck's best friend, a super spy. He was also Neil Caffrey in White Collar, and he's been in the American Horror Story flicks. He's actually voiced Superman in some of the animated DC movies. I think he'd be an interesting pick for it. Uh, the only trade-off is he's a bit shorter than they like for traditional superhero roles, but kind of came something they made fun of on Chuck at one point in time, but who gives a crap? It's Reed Richards. His powers is to stretch out really long, so just digitally stretch him out if that's a problem for you. I don't care. <laughs> SP, what do you have on your suggestion list here? Actually, the first name that came to my mind was not John Krasinski, although I could kind of see that. My first one is Josh Radnar, who was Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother. I think he has the personality for it. 
You know, he was supposed to be the nice guy, but everybody knew he wasn't behind the scenes. I mean, not personally, but like Ted Mosby was not nice because of everything. He w- was not looked at as the hero of that whole series. He's 44. He's like the perfect age for it, especially if they go another 10, 15 years. And he's definitely got the hair for it. So I think Josh would make a great Reed Richards. Another name is Matthew McConaughey. Now, before you say no, no, no. No, I was going to say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> there you go. All right, all right, all right. He he actually was pretty good in Interstellar. He's got the sci-fi cred on him, and he looks cool driving a Lincoln. So right there, there's some built-in sponsorship. <laughs> and there you go. I think he was literally bo- born for the role. So if they would decide to go... <laughs> the, the, role, the role of the Lincoln driver? Yeah, no, the role of Reed Richards. Uh, another name that I think would be fantastic at the role, I really do, would be Timothy Olaf- Olfant. I, I can never say his name right, right? But Timothy he, Olifant. Yeah, Olifant. He's been in several things. I know him predominantly from Justified. He was an amazing actor, had some amazing dialogue, and his deliveries and everything that he's been in has just been great. And I could just see the evil look in his eyes he has played the bad guy before in a movie so i think he'd be great and then i was talking to my son and he's like oh what about chris pine and i was like well maybe i don't i don't i i don't think i i don't know so i'm mentioning chris pine because my son sold me too <laughs> well i like that list and uh i i will say my list was not as long as sp's but uh the first one that came to my mind is uh i think it's time that we get him to the marvel universe and i think henry cavill would be perfect for this role i really do i think that henry cavill if you look uh out if you combine what we saw with the good parts of the dc with the things that we saw with like mission impossible I think he would be a really good fit for this. I think that he he could, he has the chops to do everything needed to be involved with this role, and I think that he could sell it. So I really do think Henry Cavill would be great for it. Chris, you're not sold. I'm not sold, but remember, I'm someone who back in the day didn't buy Heath Ledger as the Joker and promptly ate my words when The Dark Knight came out. Came out. So just because I don't see it doesn't mean it couldn't be good. But I think and he'll be busy playing Geralt Gerald rather in the Witcher. Yeah. The thing, the reason why, like when I really analyze Henry Cavill, I think if we look at the finalized version of justice league, you can really see the variety, right? You know, in Batman versus Superman, he was very one-sided because of a certain director. But when you got another director coming in, in, in justice league, you saw some variety happening. So I think that he'd be a great fit. Uh, and I also actually, by the way, before I thought of Henry Cavill, uh, my first mind was, and I didn't actually see the Twitter thing, but I had saw John, or thought of John Krasinski as well, because probably because I just watched Jack Ryan a few months ago. <laughs> so I, I do think that's a really good pick. I, I totally agree on that. Moving on to the next one here. We had Sue Storm uh, slash the Invisible Woman. Chris, go ahead and tell us all about that. So she is Reed Richards' wife in the comics at the in their origin story. I believe they're just dating. She's the older sister of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. If you've seen the previous movies, she was portrayed by Jessica Alba in Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer and played by Kate Mara in Fant Forstick. <laughs> I've got to call it that. And what, what was on your list there? So number one, like I mentioned, that Boss Logic Photoshop has me thinking this. Emily Blunt. 
And we know they work well together because they were awesome in The Quiet Place. And oh yeah, they've been married since 2010. So they've got real life chemistry between each other. She's also got action chops from having done Edge of Tomorrow, also called Live, Die, and Repeat with Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, and she's Mary Poppins. So Disney already likes her. <laughs> she's a shoe in <laughs> What else you got? Uh, these next ones aren't quite as great because I really like the Emily Blunt path, but just because I thought it'd be interesting, Alexandra Daddario, who you might remember from the Percy Jackson movies, she was the female lead in that. She also played the rock's daughter in San Andreas. So she's done big franchises in action. And the final thought I had was Vanessa Kirby, who you saw as queen Elizabeth's sister in the crown. She was in the last mission impossible movie as one of the female leads. And she is the female lead in the upcoming Hobbs and Shaw spinoff of fast and furious i think she could be interesting in the role as well of which she had maybe a nanosecond in the trailer <laughs> well yeah i mean it's all about the rock and statham well mostly the rock and statham <laughs> all right what do you got on your list sp <laughs> i started out my list i really had to wreck my brain on this so i started off with bonnie right now granted she's probably too young for the role but she was jenny weasley or now Jenny Potter, whatever, over in Harry Potter. And I just really liked her. I think she would fit into the role just fine. Daisy Ridley, she's already in-house with okay. Disney right now with Star Wars. And, oh, by the way, her film franchise is just about coming to an end. So it would be a great flop for her to come on over to the Marvel Universe, the MCU. Yvonne Strahovski, you know, Ooh, from Chuck. Good point. Yeah. She would be good. She would be good. Also, I'm a big Rachel Nichols fan. She did Continuum. She was also in a G.I. Joe film. She's got the action down. She's got the big screen down. I think she would be great in the role as Sue Storm. I really do. And of course, I cannot leave this casting role without mentioning my girl from Defiance, Anna Hopkins. <laughs> okay, I'll go with you on that. I'll absolutely go with you on that. <laughs> the ne the next ones that we're going to talk about here is from my list, and uh, the first one that popped up to me right away is Lauren Cohan. Now, you probably know her mostly from The Walking Dead, but uh, she's on some new show called, like, Getting Drunk on Whiskey or something like that. Uh, and probably so not available for a major MCU role. Uh, she will be because that show sucks, and it's probably going to be canceled it's pretty soon. Garbage. It's probably going to be canceled soon. It's actually called Whiskey Cavalier. I don't know but... if Supernatural can last 15 seasons. <laughs> Fair enough, but, uh, you know, honestly, when I thought of her with The Walking Dead, uh, if I thought of it just on its own, I thought that she was probably a decent fit for it, but I've seen a little bit from the couple episodes that I've watched of Drinking Whiskey, and I think that uh, the two of them combined, yeah, I think that she would be a great fit for this. You're saying her role in the Van Wilder spinoff doesn't have you thinking she'd be a perfect Sue Storm? You're, you're absolutely correct. That did not... <laughs> Now, this one here, I, I don't really know why my mind went to her, but it did when I started to think about it, is uh, an actress called Emmy Rosen. She's actually the lead on Shameless. And the reason why I kind of think that she would work is she was also in uh, The Day After Tomorrow. She was on that. And when you kind of look at where she's evolved and you kind of see what she's worked with on Shameless. There's been a variety of sort of different ways that that character was painted. She's got the acting chops. And I just think like when we think back to Jessica Alba in the role, I think that it was a bit of a left field, but it actually worked out really well. I, I actually thought that it was okay in the Fantastic Four or she was okay in the Fantastic Four. 
And so I thought that Amy Rosen would be an interesting pick to see in there. And lastly, this will never happen. This will never happen because they're going to want to distance themselves. But my ideal pick 100% would be Jennifer Lawrence. I think Jennifer Lawrence would be perfect for this role, but I don't think they will because of the they're going to want to get away from anybody with X-Men baggage. I had a half an hour text argument with my son over Jennifer Lawrence because he was like, she is the role. She needs to be in the role. I'm like, dude, she's already been in X. They're not going to recast her as another role in the MCU. Sorry. Well, by that, by that logic, we wouldn't have Captain America or Killmonger either. It's different now that they're in the full. It's folds. It's different now that they're going to be trying to distance themselves from their own property. How many movies did both of those names have in their previous role before they came over to the MCU? Chris Evans? Quite a few. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan had done critically acclaimed work before he was kill Killmonger and even before Fantastic Four. But I... yeah, it's the Fantastic Four role, <laughs> I'm sorry, that I'm talking about. I'm okay. I, I will gladly go with you, Chris, if you think there's any hope, because she's definitely my number one pick, but I don't think it's going to happen. Dude, yeah. it's the house of mouse. If they want to throw money around, they can throw money around. I don't think they're going to go that route personally, but it's not a matter of they couldn't afford to bring her on board. No, but I, I don't think they're going to, from a creative stance, want to. Yeah, that's my thought. I don't think that it has any, like I think it's nothing to do with her decision. I think it's everything to do with Disney's decision. They won't be pursuing that sort of avenue. But if, if they were, that I would agree. be my number one. Uh, let's go over and change things up a little bit. SP, what do you have for Johnny Storm and Human Torch? By the way, previous actors of the Human Torch were none other than Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan. So I'll, I'll leave one name off because I didn't realize that y'all had chosen that name too before I started typing it in there. But the first, <laughs> the, the first we're name... We're man. Yeah, right. The first name that I'll go with is James Franco. I think he might be a little too old, but I could just see him in the role because he's got the swagger and everything for it. Another you know, guy I almost said Dave Franco, his little brother. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And then another guy that I've seen recently, and he was kind of made to be a little awkward in the film that I saw was Ty Sheridan, who played the main character in Ready Player Run. I, I really think that he could pull it off. Because I think he's got the acting chops for it. So those were two of the three. And out of those two, I, I'd like to see James Franco more than anything else. But I, I do like the name that you guys came up with. So I think that would be the name that I would like to see on screen. All right, Chris, reveal that name. So the name that we all three put on our list was Colton Haynes, who you might know as Roy Harper, a.k.a. Arsenal from Arrow and Wide, said that was... Go back to the early seasons. You've got a Roy who's got a quick wit attitude. He's kind of an a-hole. And that's Johnny Storm. I think it'd be interesting to see Colton Haynes in that role. He's a lot of fun. So he was on my list, but also on my list because, hey, you got one Hemsworth. Let's get another. <laughs> I said get Liam Hemsworth because they've already used Chris. He's got experience with action movies and the Hunger Games and Independence Day 2. And in the second Independence Day, kind of had that same cocky edge that Johnny Storm would have. So... I thought he would be an interesting pickup. And hey, let's just collect all the Hemsworth brothers. And and I'll just say, I left my list just at just at Colton Haynes because like I uh, after I saw that on Chris's list and agreed with him 100% on that, uh, there's no other name. Like in my mind, it's got to be Colton Haynes. He'd be perfect for it. Absolutely perfect. Uh, moving on to Benjamin Grimm and the thing in previous actors that we had was who? Chris Farrell? 
Michael Chiklis in the first two Fantastic Four movies, and then Jamie Bell and Fant Forstick. And let's go ahead and turn it over to Chris for this one because um, there's a name that I just can't get over uh, that he put on his list, and I really shouldn't have read the list ahead of time because then it was stuck in my mind. So I went on a bit of a walking dead kick here, and my first pick, Michael Cudlitz, who you might know is Abraham from The Walking Dead. He had the badass uh, uh, mustache. Handlebar. In time. Also, I'm sorry? Handlebar, Handlebar mustache. mustache. That's it. Yep. Yes, he also was in Band of Brothers in 2001, and he's guest starred in a ton of popular shows like 24, CSI, Nip Tuck, Criminal Minds, and Lost. He's got a very distinctive sound to him, but I think he could also play a Ben Grimm pre-being covered in rocks. He's just got that look about him. And once I thought of that one, I was like, holy crap, this would be perfect for the thing. I really hope they do this. Uh, I Yeah, that's the one that I thought was like, I, I, I wish I hadn't read this because I couldn't get over it. I absolutely think that it's, it's a great fit. And uh, kudos to you, Chris Farrell. Great pick. Great pick on that one. Yeah, he's my number one pick. My number two pick. Let's stay on The Walking Dead. But hey, it also connects to Supernatural because this actor was in both franchises. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. You might know him from The Walking Dead as Negan, the comedian in Watchmen or Thomas Wayne in Batman v Superman. Hey, he's got a great distinctive voice. I think it'd be a lot of fun. He's certainly probably too old for the role. But if you're just doing CGI, the thing with the voiceover work, I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan could be interesting, too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that would be interesting, but nope, you're right with your first pick. SP, what do you got? I had another half an hour text argument with my son. He pushed and pushed and pushed, <laughs> and I promised I would say it. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he really wants to see The Rock uh, and nobody else. That that was it. The Rock, as much as I tried to argue against him. So, yeah. Sand Rock, I said The Rock. So there you go. Dwayne Johnson. That's just because of want- the name. Let's be honest. The name. It's <laughs> <laughs> like he was perfect for it, right? Uh, if you wanted to rehash like a Michael Chiklis sort of character, Kevin James would definitely be it. So I think that's in there. If you've seen Stranger Things, David Harbour, who plays the sheriff in mm-hmm. that series, would be a great rock. And of course, my number one pick would be Adam Baldwin. He's free right now. He's available. He's got the acting chops. He's got sci-fi cred. Uh, he's a little bit older. So, yeah, he, he'd be a good rock. Yeah. Uh, the only other name that I thought of, because probably just the association, was uh, over on Gotham, we had a actor named Drew Powell play a version of Solomon Grundy. And I thought he did a really good job. And just, you, you know, in, in sort of the build and everything, I pictured, of course, the the rock version so you know like the, like the not the post transformation uh thing and so i absolutely think that he would do a really good job i by somebody that you don't really know he's never gonna get it because he's nobody but it came to my mind so there's your shout out for all of you other people that listen or watch gotham uh what do you got going on next chris farrell so this is our last one we'll save the rest for a future segment here Let's talk about Victor Von Doom, arguably the most iconic villain of the Fantastic Four, originally introduced in Fantastic Four number five. One villain they have arguably never gotten right on the big screen. For those that aren't aware, he's a technical genius to rival Reed Richards, but he's also an accomplished sorcerer, almost on par with Doctor Strange. That's an important part that I bring that up. So previously portrayed by Julian McMahon in Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Sulphur, Silver Surfer, excuse me, and Tony Kebble in Fant Forstick. So 
I did my casting here, and the first one, as much as I would love to see it, will never have happen, which is Mads Mikkelsen, who you might know as Le Chief from Chateau Royale, or Casino Royale, rather, uh, Hannibal Lecter from the Hannibal series, Galen Erso from Rogue One, oh yeah, and the villain from Doctor Strange. <laughs> so that's probably why he would never be put behind the mask, but I would love to just see him on screen again, paired opposite Benedict Cumberbatch, throwing magic around just with Victor Von Doom's arrogant uh, tones. I, I think it'd be really cool to see. It's not going to happen because he's already portrayed an MCU villain. I wish it would, but it won't happen. My second choice, just because I was struggling, because I think it's so hard to pick someone to be Victor Von Doom because the role is going to be difficult because of all the fan expectations. So I'm not sure it's a great pick, but it's one I'd be interested in seeing is Christoph Waltz. Yet again, another Bond villain. He was the villain inspector, also played a role in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. I think he'd be interesting to see paired opposite Bandit Cumberbatch if uh, Doom ever met up with the Sorcerer Supreme. So that was part of why I went that route. He's arguably probably too old for the role. If they're trying to go the younger route and go with someone who's got some star power on the rise in Hollywood, this I just pulled out of nowhere, but I think would be interesting would be Rami Malek who you might know from uh, Mr. Robot. Oh, no, yeah, he won an Oscar. Uh, me. what do you have? I would like to see Tom Felton in the role. Yeah, Draco Malfoy from the Harry Potter series. And we recently saw him over in the Arrowverse on The Flash. You know, he's active and around. I think he's got experience with magic. He'd be good in the role. And he's a younger actor, so he could stay in the role for quite some time. Alexander Skarsgård. I figured he'd be good for the role. And then also, if you wanted to go a little bit older, Timothy Dalton has some acting chops that could be applied to the role. That'd be interesting. Good picks. Uh, for me personally, uh, I went with sort of the middle-aged, the not too old, not too young, sort of uh, right in the middle. Uh, the name that came to me was Jason Isaacs. If you're not familiar oh, that's with so good. Jason Isaacs, uh, he's largely known... From Harry Potter as Lucius Malfoy. Now I have not watched Harry Potter. Uh, and I'm going to stop myself from explaining too much. But um, there, there was a really good way that he was in Star Trek Discovery Season 1 that I think plays nicely into this character. So uh, just I think that uh, this character, like you said, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. And if you know this character, you know that it's, it's not a one-note character by any means. And I, I think that uh, Jason Isaacs could definitely pull it off. And That's such a good choice, Stephen. I wish I'd uh, thought of it. Yeah, well, you know, every, every now and then I get something somewhat, right? Uh, and the other one that I thought would be interesting, but it will never, ever, ever happen because of the reason that I previously mentioned... I think John Bernthal would be an interesting one as well. But that's not going to happen because of the Punisher baggage. I think his acting is a little bit too methodically slow for the role mm, i guess I, I i i wouldn't argue too much with you over that i just i think like i i think there's the potential there but i don't know jason isaacs was my my number one but chris had two in his so i felt don't like i had get, two <laughs> yeah don't get me wrong i love john berthal he's done amazing stuff with the two of the major roles that i've seen him in i just don't see him in this role fair enough so if you have some complaints about our casting, if you want to get on the casting couch with Chris Farrell, please get in touch with us through any of the ways, including hitting us up on Twitter at 
Guinea Geek or go over to guineageek.com. And we have a few other things that we will talk about in a future edition of this. I guess we'll just keep on with the name Recasting Fox. And then once we're done with that, eventually we'll come up with another name. You know, we're going to stretch this out. It's going to be after Endgame and they're going to do official casting announcements. We're like, damn it, we didn't get them all done. <laughs> or, damn it, they stole our great picks. They won't do official casting announcements until after uh, Dark Phoenix comes out. No, they might, because I don't think they care. <laughs> <laughs> they do care because they own the property and they want to make some bucks out of it. They own the property and they're going to reboot it immediately after it's done. I don't think they yeah, care. Yeah, but why, why throw it away? They still got to make payroll. Because they went... It's already paid for. Exactly. They went, all right, this is how much it's going to cost us to buy them. And we're going to take a loss on the movie. Like, this is totally in the numbers. They don't even care. They're just like, whatever. Like, they're not even going to release that new Mutants movie now, supposedly, if you believe well, the yeah, sheets. I'm glad they're not because <laughs> of I, it's been reshot like five different times. But I, I disagree with you guys. I think... Disney, it's not going to be like a Netflix issue with the Punisher and Jessica Jones. They're going to ride this out. So you're not going to see new casting and new announcements on new movies and that sort of thing. Well, maybe new movie announcements, but you're not going to see casting announcements until at least August time frame. They're going to let this one ride. Well, we shall see. But that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this show. So for episode number 100... <laughs> 280 of the official geek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying 280, not 180. I'm SP saying, like the Disney years, it's Star Wars, it's Disney, and it's Marvel, all in one house. And I'm Chris Farrell saying, Kevin Feige, if you want to hire me to cast your movies, I'm in. Let's do this thing. Chris will definitely take you to the casting couch. He'll take you there anytime. No, no. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.